2: Back at it again on a Friday where the NCAA tournament again takes center stage. Aaron, honestly, uh I don't drink, but I was hung over this morning from what we had. In the first round of the NCAA tournament on Thursday, it actually started when we were on the air and Richmond ended up upsetting Iowa. Thought that that was going to be the bracket buster. There's that phrase again. <laughs> but that only was an appetizer to the craziness that we got last night in that 215 matchup in Indianapolis.
0: I like how you conveniently went straight from Iowa to Kentucky, both losing while skipping over my alma mater, UConn, losing as a seven-point favorite <laughs> to New Mexico State. Um, it was crazy, and it was interesting because, you know, we were on air, obviously, during that early session, and I don't know that there was anything truly stunning obviously the Iowa loss was huge but Iowa historically I mean under Fran McCaffrey their current head coach they haven't been to even the second weekend of the NCAA tournament let, let alone beyond that so I don't know that there was anything stunning and then of course just the chaos that you just referenced to kind of uh, hit us right there in the middle of the night about 7 seven thirty eastern with that Kentucky St. Peter's game
2: the 215 upset in the NCAA tournament has happened before and last night it was the 10th time in history that it happened. Last year we were on the air when Oral Roberts upset Ohio State in a 215 matchup. But what I found so intriguing about St. Peter's win over Kentucky, uh final score 85-79, uh, did it in overtime, was number one that it was in overtime. Usually the longer the game goes, the better team ends up uh, winning out and the more opportunities that they have to show that they are the better team more often than not uh, Kentucky or a team like Kentucky I think wins that game but it didn't happen last night so Kentucky is out and there are some on Twitter that in social media that we're talking about this is the greatest upset that we've ever seen in the NCAA tournament considering Uh, who Kentucky was, maybe some of the expectations that Kentucky was, and that it was a bigger upset than what uh, UMBC had against Virginia four years ago when Virginia was the number one seed, and it's the only time a 16 topped number one. And I just don't think, Aaron, that that last night's game – was the greatest upset that we had in in the NCAA tournament? And that was my that was my first blush at it. Like you can argue all you want, but there's a lot of power in those numbers that are before the schools, and I just don't think that you can sit there and make a real case. when it's only happened one time when a sixteen is won. That last night, St. Peter's upset of Kentucky was the greatest upset we've seen in the NCAA tournament.
0: Well, I do vehemently agree with you, and 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 I don't know. What all the reaction was you know in real time and, and this is part of the media climate that we live in everybody wants to outdo each other everybody wants to have the craziest hottest boldest take but I mean listen Virginia first of all we had never seen a 16 seed pull off the upset Virginia that year number one overall seed uh, they had had success in the ACC tournament which was a really really good conference that year and so what i don't even think uh, you know I, I didn't think this was the greatest upset ever what I will tell you is a couple things I mean i'm not enough of a historian to know, but I've heard a lot of people in the media call this um, the worst loss in Kentucky basketball history. It's Kentucky media now. like, And you talk about 100 years playing at a high level, that really says something. Um, and, and I'll also say is that just in, in doing all the prep work for the bracket, um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm by any means a, a Mac or St. Peter's expert. But when these upsets happen, there's sometimes that you can kind of see the scenario where, okay, one team plays this way and the smaller seed plays that way. And if this goes right and that goes right, you can see the scenario where it happens. And I just bring it up because from the St. Peter's, Kentucky perspective, I actually looked into St. Peter's a little bit just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Mm-hmm. This was a team that averaged 66 points per game. Um, there's 350 teams in college basketball, and they were in the 300s in scoring. Uh, negative assist-to-turnover ratio over the course of the season, which means they had more turnovers than assists. And oh, by the way, um, I don't know if we talked about it on air yesterday, but uh, their, their starting front court, they have two guys that are six seven, under 200 pounds, Going up against one of the greatest rebounders that we've seen in recent college basketball history, the national player of the year, Oscar Sheboy. So I just bring it up to say, Dan, uh, there 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 are plenty of scenarios where an upset happens, where you can see the scenario where maybe it's kind of coming. This was definitively not one of them. And then the
2: heat falls on John Calipari's shoulders. Sure. And to have Kentucky lose in this fashion and then you have the whether it be real or fake conversation of this being the worst loss, Cal gets a lot of heat, uh, quite a bit of heat, and especially when you have that fan base. What I don't understand, though, Aaron, is from everything that you said, isn't that a player's sort of thing? I mean, I, I mean, in terms of in terms of a team hitting, you know, like nine threes like St. Peter's last night ended up shooting above 50 percent from three point range that's it's part of a recipe for an upset don't sometimes players just make plays like I get last night was bad but is it really worth it saying you know what I think we need a change at the top because that's some of the conversation that's coming out of Lexington and coming out of the big big blue nation that I just I mean man I, I th- there's a lot of equity built into that and I just don't know like you have a you have a bad night. And now all of a sudden you want to move Cal out and and move on to a new name and a new face. I just, I I, I just I don't think that that's smart. I I, I I mean, talk about overreacting. I just think that's an extreme overreaction.
0: First off, I think two things can be true. So one, what you said is correct. It it is a player's game, and the coach can only put his team in position to win. Kentucky 4 of 15 from 3 last night, and this was a team that on the season, uh, they were the best 3-point shooting team in the SEC, shot about 35-36% for the entire season. And as I said, 4 for 15, 26% last night, 23 of 35 from the free throw line, including 1 of 6 in overtime. So that part can absolutely be true. What can also be true is that while John Calipari shouldn't be fired, uh, I, I do think uh, – there there are times where I think fan bases just overreact and everybody goes crazy and you're in the moment, you're in the heat of the moment. But John Calipari is, I believe, the second highest paid coach in college basketball behind Coach K. Uh, we don't know Coach K's exact salary because of the fact that it is a private school. But we now have, Dan, I, I think about a five-, six-year track record where if you start to look at the results for Kentucky – He's not getting the results of a guy that is the second highest paid person in his profession. I mean, last year, first of all, so worst loss in maybe Kentucky basketball history last night. This coming off of last year the worst season in Kentucky basketball history. Now, 2020 had a really good team, Emmanuel Quickly, Tyrese Maxey, but no NCAA tournament was played, so we'll never know. The year before, they lose to Auburn in the Elite Eight, a team that they had beaten twice. The year before that, they lose in the Sweet 16 uh, to a number nine seed in Kansas State. And so we're really talking about a five-year track record, three NCAA tournaments, you lose to three lower seeds. Uh, One year, you have the worst season ever. And to cap that off by this season, you come back, there's so much goodwill off of that historically bad season last year to then lose in the first round to St. Peter's. I think where Kentucky fans' frustration lies, and I agree with you, nobody's getting fired, it lies in this is a four-, five-year trend where this program, uh, you know, you're judged by the NCA tournament and they're not delivering in the NCAA tournament. This is, this is the, the crapshoot to
2: mm-hmm. me now crap. of – college basketball and this is this is the I I don't know maybe it's maybe it's the dangerous part Aaron maybe it's the part that we don't um that that it wasn't necessarily like this because Izzo was going to Final Fours with Michigan State and Coach K was and Cal was and there are always familiar faces that you've seen in the Final Four but just to go back and look over the last five years of schools that have made Final Fours I mean we're talking Oregon, South Carolina, Uh, Loyola, Chicago, Texas Tech, Virginia obviously cut down the nets. Auburn could get back there this year, but they were there three years ago. You had UCLA make their crazy run, and maybe I won't even include them, and you have Houston making their run last year. To me, when you start to have these non-brand names – and it's not meant to be disrespectful, but I think maybe, maybe non blue bloods a better way to put it, and so UCLA definitely wouldn't be in that conversation. But I think it does tell you on how much of a crapshoot the tournament is starting to become. And so the overall success of, of a coach or not, like I get like wanting to move past, and I get Iowa's probably frustrated with Fran McCaffrey, to your point of this happened over and over again. But I think that what you ask for is your team to be in position. That's all that you can ask for because I would rather have a team that when you know goes twenty five and seven in a regular season is near the top of the conference and gets a top four seed in the tournament than to want to keep a coach around because he had three good weeks in March, and that's the scary and and I understand I like it's six years of, of evidence where there haven't been a three good you know weeks in March, but who, what coach can you bring in to change that? And I just don't think that that you know like. You can't because of the nature of the beast that we are talking about with the tournament.
0: Well, and first of all, the the biggest problem is if and weren't neither you nor I is advocating that change should actually happen. I'm certainly not. I know you aren't either. But even if you did, uh, good luck finding the guy that wants to replace the guy that does have Kentucky in contention every year. Because if you're saying that a two seed, uh, a second or third place in the SEC, Um, you know, winning at Kansas, doing everything that they did isn't good enough and that it's national championship or bust. I don't care how much you're going to pay somebody. Nobody wants that job uh, where you have zero margin for error, especially following a guy that largely has had success like John Calipari. And so what I will say, I do think that this specific NCAA tournament is going to be an interesting one because we really have seen a trend. and, And this was a stat that I talked about last week of usually the best team or two seems to find its way to a Final Four. But you get past that, and there is just chaos every single year because of all the reasons that we talk about in college basketball. And some of them have hurt the sport, the changing of the of, of the rosters constantly, younger players coming into this sport, all that good stuff. Uh, but I'm very curious to see how this tournament plays out because if we do get um, – I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but Murray stayed in the Final Four or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then it really just does be—it really does make you wonder, is this tournament absolutely just a total crapshoot? Is this what it's going to be for the end of time? The best teams aren't as good anymore because you don't keep players for three or four years. And forget that, uh, you're losing players to the transfer portal all the time. I think these are broader, interesting conversations to have. I'm curious to see. Um, I, I, I threw an analogy this morning at you, Dan. I'm curious for your perspective on I, I, and to be clear, no one's saying Calipari needs to go. Nobody's saying he's out. Nobody's saying pack his bags. I mean, some are, but nobody that's that's logical and reasonable. Um, but I, I I am getting some big Dallas Cowboys vibes out of the, the Kentucky Wildcats right now. Let me explain why. Neither or you know organization one place we call them a program in college basketball. Neither is awful. Neither is bad. But it just seems like the last three, four, five years, and I know Dallas in, It goes back to the 90s. I get that. But Kentucky, I mean, we're talking about five, six, seven years now where you get to that big stage, where you're defined by that big stage, and you come up short, and you're kind of in that middle ground where you can't really make a change because you're really, really, really good. But you're not getting to that ultimate prize, and there's some frustration. And so, to me, the way a Kentucky fan feels this morning, I feel like is the way a Cowboys fan feels after that 49ers game, where you just sit there and say, "What do we got to do?" And by the way, I think both fan bases are saying thinking the same thing. I'm not asking for a championship. I'm just not asking for that. I am not asking for what I saw yesterday, whether it was just an embarrassing loss to the 49ers where you have a million penalties and you can't run the two-minute drill, or whether it's you're a Kentucky fan where it's okay. It's one thing to go to the the, uh, Sweet 16 and lose to Purdue or the Elite Eight and lose to Baylor. It's another thing to lose to something called St. Peter's that you had never heard of until five minutes ago, and that's no disrespect to St. Peter's.
2: The 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 fan bases are are applicable. I'll say that when you got big blue, uh, big blue nation, why do I keep calling them big blue? I think because of the blue in the second part. You're ha- hung over. That's why them. you said you're hung over. I am hung over. Yesterday, alcohol, yesterday was a taxing day in college hoops. But no, you, there are there are similarities to the fan base and how much they do care about their team and the ups and downs that they have been in. I will say at least Kentucky has had more success than Dallas has had recently. I, I just I, I wonder this, and I, I gotta let you know, today's show is brought to you by one of our favorite cities, Las Vegas, the greatest arena on earth. Plan your trip today at visitlasvegas.com. I just want to get your thoughts on this final point. Kentucky at one point was thought to be the king of the one and duns, and then Duke has kind of taken over that. Now one and Duns not as important. Transfer portal almost seems more important. Is that going to help or hurt
0: Kentucky moving
2: on if Cal stays as their head coach?
0: So it's very interesting that you ask that because last offseason when Kentucky again was coming off a 9-16 and season, they missed the NCAA tournament, that was believed to be the solution. Okay, we've been the youngest team in the country forever. Let's go get guys that are established at the college level. And let's rock out and let's roll and let's just beat teams by 20. And, and by the way, it goes back to our original conversation is it, it, they did have an incredible regular season. They won by 20 at Kansas. They beat Tennessee, who's red hot at one point by 30 points. They beat North Carolina big, etc. cetera. Um, so I think that's another part of this conversation from the perspective of people that are kind of over Calipari is – that was the excuse last offseason. Well, let's just get older. Let's some get, to get some veterans in here because you can't do the one and done thing alone anymore. Now that doesn't work. So I would say in the bigger picture, Dan, to answer your question... I think the portal will help Kentucky. I have said on the record, I think they should just stop recruiting high school kids. High school kids come in. They know they're only going to be there for a year. Most of them don't make the difference that you expect them to. Um, I would go heavy in the portal, but I think that's another part of the conversation that's completely different, which is, darn it, man. You told us, get rid of the high school kids. Let's go get some older players. We did that, and it resulted in another embarrassing loss, this one to St. Peter's.
2: He's Aaron Torres. Get him on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. I'm Dan Beyer. Find me on Twitter at Dan Beyer on Fox as we are in for Doug Gottlieb today. Devontae Adams is now a Raider, and the Packers have draft picks. We dive into that trade and tell you who won it next year on Fox Sports Radio.
1: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
2: Doug Gottlieb show on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Dan Bayer. He's Aaron Torres sitting in for Doug. We'll give you uh, the latest on what's happening in the NCAA tournament. Brian Fenley here in a couple of minutes uh, with the latest on the games going on and uh, ones that are in the books as well. Devontae Adams traded yesterday by the Packers to the Raiders for a first-round pick, and a second-round pick uh, will now go to Green Bay from Las Vegas. As much as we were talking about – the Kentucky upset last night, Aaron, and saying that some people were saying it was the greatest upset uh in tournament history. Others weren't saying it. There was just the divide on who got the better end of the deal, Raiders or Packers. When you heard Devontae Adams gone to Las Vegas for a first and second round pick, who did you think got the better end of the deal?
0: What is the ar- I'm not trying to be sarcastic? What is the argument for the Packers getting the better end of the deal?
2: Uh a first and second round pick for a wide receiver, I believe yeah. is the
0: I I well I, I would vehement – I'm vehemently disagreeing with everything because I think I said I vehemently disagree with something in the first segment as well. So I'm all over the place today. But listen, you know, Devontae is a game changer. Devontae Adams is a game changer. But I do think it, it leads to the bigger conversation of – and I know there's cap semantics and all this stuff, but, but you bring back Aaron Rodgers at $50 million a year – but now you're trading away the, the best weapon, some would argue, the only guy that he trusts. And so, I again, I understand there's financial things. He didn't want to take the, the franchise tag, all that stuff. But the idea that the, the Packers somehow got the better end of this, unless they believe that there is another Devontae Adams in this draft that they can get and that they are going to draft because we know their history of drafting uh, offensive skill position guys in the first round, which is basically non-existent. I don't know how you can argue anyone other than the Raiders got the better end of this. Uh, this I
2: actually deal. like Green Bay's haul on it. I mean, to give up a first and the second round pick, which, by the way, makes the Seahawks trade of Jamal Adams for two first rounders True. look ten <laughs> times uh, worse than it already does look. But to be able to get that sort of haul at a position that I, – I, Cooper Cup had one of the greatest seasons in NFL history this past year at the wide receiver position. But I do think that the difference was Matthew Stafford in that team. And so there's a long history of showing do wide receivers really play a part in a team in making a Super Bowl run. And I just I, – I look at Green Bay and I almost give Brian Gutekunst and, and Matt LaFleur in that front office uh, just another tip of the cap because – they aren't going to be held hostage, and and I know that they think that there's this window right now. Um, I just don't know how much it makes the Raiders better, and that's really like like how I look at it. Like I think maybe more people felt that the Packers lost because they gave up Adams, but I don't see how the Raiders are just now this Super Bowl contender. And that's kind of how I look at it. Like there's still, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of hay to put in the barn in the AFC West. There are people who are not even moving the Raiders out of the cellar in their predictions from the AFC West, considering what has gone on. So in that aspect, I look at it and say, you know what? Green Bay may actually feel more of a change from what they received in the deal, as opposed to what the Raiders are actually getting in the deal.
0: I see both sides. I just, if I was a Packers fan, I'd be worried today. Uh, Not because the division still stinks. You still have Aaron Rodgers. But you have more questions today, obviously, than you did yesterday.
2: It is the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Byer sitting in for Doug today. And Doug, when there's big news happening, likes to go and reach out to some friends across the country to get us the latest of what's happening on these stories. And we do it now in a segment that we like to call... Hey! Hey! We don't know
1: everything, but we know people that know what you want to know, you know?
2: What the hell he say? Sounds like you need a guy. Hey! Hey! I got a guy. And we got a couple of guys to give us the latest of what's happening with this Devontae Adams trade from the Packers to Las Vegas. We start in Title Town. Packers insider Pete Doherty joining us here on Fox Sports Radio. Pete, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you?
3: Oh, thanks for having me. Title down. that's probably how some of the people <laughs> around here are feeling. Although uh, uh, there's a good segment of fans who I think like the trade too, so it depends who you talk to. Does Aaron Rodgers like this trade? I don't know. I mean, the Packers leaked out, you know, pretty quickly after it went down that he was aware that this was something that could happen. But, you know, kind of implicating he knew before he signed his contract that he knew this was a possibility. I'm a little suspicious of that, or I I just suspect he didn't think it was that likely. And I still wonder if this kind of caught him uh, off guard. And um, I, I just find it hard to believe he's real happy about this.
2: Pete Doherty, our Packers insider, joining us here. Aaron, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I was just going to ask, what, what, so what is the the next logical move? I mean, Aaron Rodgers is here, but his, his best weapon is obviously gone. Do, do you suspect that a wide receiver would be taken in the draft, or, or is there somebody internally that they like to take over all of Devontae Adams' production? What's the next step for the Packers?
3: Oh, yeah, internally there's just there's not a lot there. I mean, it looks like they're back in the you know, uh, Veldez-Scantling, who was with them the last four years, he was going to leave in free agency because, you know, Adams was taking up $20 million with the tag on the on the cap. That $20 million's gone. It sounds like they're going out back after Veldez-Scantling. But he's a field stretcher. He's not a high-volume guy. So, um, you know, they need a lot more than that. I, I, I'm assuming they're going to sign some, you know, mid- to lower-level free-agent uh, receiver. Um, you know, maybe even a couple, and then I'm sure they're gonna draft i I gotta believe they're gonna draft two receivers, and I wouldn't be shocked if both of them were in the first three rounds. They got two ones and two twos now, so uh i I think we can almost assume that at least one of the two receivers they draft will come in the first two rounds, and it wouldn't be a shock if two did or if it was in the first two or at least three rounds, but yeah, the draft is gonna be huge for them.
2: Pete Doherty Packer's columnist for Green Bay for the Green Bay press Gazette joining us here on Fox Sports radio he's Aaron Torres I'm Dan Bayer so is this the Brian Gutekunst plan I mean does this just continue along you know we did it from the kind of Aaron Rodgers sort of thing but is this another draft that we're going to end up analyzing uh, down the line and maybe say this pick worked out is is this the the big picture uh, that is in line for what Gutekunst has for the Packers
3: well, I don't think this was the plan, you know, going into the off season. I think it was they wanted to go all in, and if you're get if you can convince Rodgers to come back, then you want to bring Adams back because, you know, their chemistry is just off the charts, and they're both great players. So, I think this is an adjustment because something happened with Adams where he did not want to come back. He wanted he preferred to go to Las Vegas over staying here, and that includes staying here and playing with. With Rodgers, and it sounds like the contract offers were similar. So he Adams wanted out, and so I think the Packers got, you know, the most they could for him. And I do wonder if they'd known this going into the offseason, if they would have been more inclined to trade Rodgers too. Um, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get an honest answer from anybody over there on this, at least until you know Gutekunst and Murphy are retired. But I, I do wonder about
0: that. That was actually going to be my, my last question. My follow-up question was, um, one, you know, that, that Aaron Rodgers perspective, but two, did, did, is there any reason, I mean, we were all kind of led to believe that Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers have this great relationship. Aaron Rodgers has called him the best teammate ever. Uh, you referenced there that, that you know, it seems as though this is not where Devontae Adams wanted to be. Do we know why that is exactly? You said the contracts are similar, so that's the part that I'm a little confused by.
3: Yeah, no, we we don't know. Because um, I, I assumed all along that this was a package deal. I was talking with a scout for another team today, and that's what he said. He just assumed that, you know, when Rodgers came back, well, then it's a given, they're going to do whatever to, to bring Adams back. So, no, I don't know what happened with Adams. Now, looking at it just from his perspective, you know, he was – a lot of times teams, including the Packers, redo these deals, do the extensions when the guy's in the last year of his contract. So – Last year, Adams is looking for, you know, a big contract extension, and rightfully so. And they could never work out a deal. So, in his mind, the Packers aren't willing to pay him what he's worth, and he has to play all last season, taking the risk of if he blows out his knee or his Achilles, that's going to cost him a huge amount of money down the road. Um, so he's probably not real happy about that. And then I wonder if something, if they, if he felt like they were lowballing him still you know, um, now that we got into this offseason and, and in, in their negotiations. And so I, w- I wonder if something happened in there that just was the last straw. But it sure seems like something happened because he did not get the vibe that he was looking to get out, you know, during the season. you did not get that vibe at all.
2: Packers insider Pete Doherty. Read him in the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Find him on Twitter at Pete Doherty. Thanks, Pete. We appreciate it. Okay, thanks for having me. I got a guy. Now, for the other side of the trade, we head to Sin City, covering the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Find him on Twitter, at Vinny Bonsignor. Raiders insider Vinny Bonsignor joins us here on Fox Sports Radio. So what's it like with Raider Nation now that Derek Carr will be throwing footballs to Devontae Adams? Vinny, what's it like there?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Raider Nation um, is kind of pitching itself uh, right now because uh, it's a bold new world that the Raiders are are operating in. It's kind of a manifestation of you know everything that Mark Davis was talking about when he was chasing a new stadium he needed a new stadium to tap into revenue streams you know that that allowed him to compete financially with his colleagues around the league that had those types of stadiums and it was never really about personal wealth for him he just wanted to win super bowls and put money into uh, the the team that he didn't have um, through you know because of the stadium situation up there in Oakland so they get here to Las Vegas and they're now they're acting the part that the Cash Register Stadium at Allegiant, uh, at Allegiant that's a great new market here, and they're investing big time um, in players like Adams and players like uh, you know Chandler Jones. Derek Carr will get his extension, um, so it, it's not really a surprise. But for Raider Nation, it's definitely a different world that they're living in today than they were just three years ago.
0: So we just talked to to our guy in Green Bay, and uh, you know my impression was always that. Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers had this incredible relationship, and you know they were going to ride into the sunset together. Adams was at least going to be there as long as Rodgers was. Do you have any inclination as to why Devontae Adams not only wanted out, but it seems as though he was uh, appealed by Las Vegas? I know that obviously him and Derek Carr played together. Is that the obvious tie that made Las Vegas so appealing? Is there something else that we're missing?
1: Uh yeah, I think that you know, number one their their friendship, uh they made no secret uh you know, even through last year. There were, you know, uh moments when both of them publicly talked about wanting to play with each other. So there, there's definitely something uh, to that. Devonte Adams just bought a house here, uh you know, 3 months or about a month ago, um, you know, a beautiful new 12 million dollar home um here and that kind of raised some eyebrows. Uh he grew up in the Bay Area, he's been a Raider fan uh, his whole life. Um so I I I think it just, all of those things and, you know, what your last guest was talking about. You know, probably the way the Green Bay Packers handled things last year may have rubbed him the wrong way and it opened up a door and once those doors open and you know you start talking to your friends and you start thinking about you know gosh I've been growing up a Raider fan wanting to be there here's an opportunity to maybe make that happen uh, and I think all of those forces kind of came into play beneficially so uh, for the Raiders who end up with arguably the best receiver in the NFL one of the best pass rushers in Chandler Jones uh, and they can legitimately talk about themselves as Super Bowl contenders, not saying they're going to win it because it takes a lot of luck, but it's the the first time in a long time that you can look at this Raiders roster and say, that's a team that people have to contend with and can go pretty far um, in, in the NFL playoffs.
2: Covering the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Vinny Bonsignor joins us here on Fox Sports Radio on the Doug Gottlieb Show. He's here in Torres. I'm Dan Beyer. So let's take a step back. Let's look at this AFC West now. Um, you mentioned it. Chandler Jones is in Las Vegas. Now on the opposite side of Max Crosby, Devontae Adams is there. What does this do for the Raiders within that division?
1: Um, well, you think about that offense now, uh, Devontae Adams – there's a guy by the name of Darren Waller, wears number yeah. 83. Right. Like We're almost forgetting about him right now. But, you know, when you think about him pairing off with Devontae Adams, and Hunter Renfo is, is a really good young um, slot receiver and just a good football player uh, in general. You've got Josh Jacobs, you know, who uh, it was coming off two straight 1,000 yard rushing years uh, before last year. Kenyon Drake is on this team. The, Ra- the Raiders just went out and, you know, uh, brought in Brandon Bolden and Jacob Johnson, a couple of old friends from the New England. Patriots. Um, This, the the, Colton Miller is one of the best left tackles in the NFL. The offensive line definitely needs a little bit of work, and um, you know I know that they're going to get to that uh, this offseason. But you know, you look at that offense and. It's pretty darn good. Uh, like it's, you, you, you can see points being scored, and you're going to have to uh, in the AFC West. Uh, but then on the other side of things, being able to bring Chandler Jones in there, who's like a bona fide, game-changing type of a player, 107.5 sacks to, since 2012, that's the most in the NFL in that time, uh, alongside Max Crosby, uh, it just really gives the Raiders a lot of ability to create havoc in a way that they're going to need to create. You know, to, to deal with some of the quarterbacks and some of the high-power offenses in the AFC. It's going to be a gauntlet. There's no question about it. I got a text from uh, a, a general manager uh, in the NFL who was who uh, in a public setting when when the Raider when news broke yesterday. He's like, I, I didn't say what I wanted to say, which was, you know, WTF? Like, how'd that just happen? You know, so uh, this this. This, this part of the world, this part of the NFL, it, it's, a, it's an arms race out here. And I know a lot of people around the league are taking notice of it, including the teams here. Uh, and they're trying to keep up with each other. And it's been pretty fun, pretty fascinating uh, this week to see it all kind of come uh, to fruition.
0: Last one for me, Vinny, just real quick. Curious to the early reaction to Josh McDaniels. I'm sure you haven't had a ton of time to be around him, but we heard for years about how he was standoffish, the typical Belichick assistant when he was in Denver. Have you had any chance to be with him even in a a press setting, press availability? Do you sense that he's grown, evolved as a head coach? Because that was obviously a lot of the conversation uh, when he was in Denver a few years ago.
1: Yeah, I do. And it's crazy because, uh, you know, universally in the league, the people that I talk to are like, the guy is a top notch. Like, he's, a, he's, he's one of the few, you know, game-changing kind of offensive minds in the NFL. That's unquestioned. The question was, you know, his people skills. And, and he's really, every time you talk to him, every time I've talked to him, um, the first thing you hear is, you know, the football part will take care of itself. You know, I want to get to know him. I want to get to know Derek. You know, I really want to build a relationship with Josh, you know, and Darren Waller. And it's everything that He's talking is backwards, maybe, from what was going on in Denver, where it was all football and people just sort of took a back seat to that. Right now, it's people building, relationship building, getting to know uh, each other, and then the football part will will take care of itself. If he's true to his word, then I think he's turned the corner in that regard. And there's no quite, it was 12 years ago, and he was, you know, uh, a a young guy at the time making his first, you know, head coaching, um, you know, gig. And, it was probably easy to follow the Bill Belichick model, but you know he's he's talked about a couple times now just being himself, not trying to be anybody else. And and uh, you know I've I've felt pretty comfortable around him, and uh, he seems to be a, a, a pretty good dude. Uh, you know likes said joke around and things like that. So at least from my perspective, he doesn't appear to be um, you know on the verge of making some of the mistakes he made in Denver. And if he and if he can avoid that, um, you know the, the football side will then ultimately take care of itself.
2: He covers the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review-Journal and kind enough to join us today, Vinny Bonsignore. Thanks, Vinny. Have a great weekend. All right, you too, guys. Thank you for having me. So you needed a
1: guy?
0: I'm a point guard. We
2: got you a guy. My bad. Check out the latest slides of the world of sports at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. Must be 21, must be present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, and Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Bayer, Who will be the best NBA player out of this NCAA tournament field? We tell you next on Fox.
1: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific.
2: Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. He's Aaron Torres. I'm Dan Bayer sitting in for Doug today. We had planned to play a game, but guess what? Plans change. If you don't believe me, ask Brian Fenley. Get to lose that. Breaking news from Fox
3: Sports.
0: Yes, Dan, we had heard initially that the Browns were out of the conversation for Deshaun Watson looking for a new home, the star NFL quarterback. Well, he has made it clear, according to multiple reports, that he wants to go to the Cleveland Browns, and that seemingly is the way things are progressing here. Still, a trade will need to be finalized, but Watson has waived the no trade clause to Cleveland. NFL Network says that Watson, quote, like the roster, the coaches, the front office, and more, quote quotes. So still the particulars, Dan and Aaron, of the trade would have to be put in place here, but things all looking like Watson is on his way to Cleveland. So five years, 230
2: million dollars, a fully guaranteed contract for Deshaun Watson, according to Ian Rappaport. To play for the Browns, the team, Aaron, that we thought were out of the running. We thought that they were out of the final four, that it was down to the three NFC teams. I said yesterday that I thought weather probably played a part in all of this. Now it almost seems like money played a part in all yes. of this in having Deshaun Watson waive his no trade clause.
0: I mean, this is unbelievable and, and you know, I'm blessed to 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 be on it, to be on air with you and also to to have had an opportunity to fill in for Jason Smith the other night. And so, I was on air when the Baker Mayfield letter broke, which we thought that definitively means Deshaun's going to Cleveland. And then I was on air with you yesterday, having the privilege to talk about Baker demanding a trade, the Browns saying, no, 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 you're staying right here. And now Deshaun Watson, I mean, this is just insanity. You just talk about a scenario. I had given up on it. I think we all had the idea that it's coming full circle, all the same conversations we've had about wanting to stay in the AFC as opposed to go to the NFC. We can peel back over the next two hours, Dan, but I am just in total shock right now.
2: Yeah, this is, listen, the Aaron Rodgers thing that we had gone through over the last offseason and then parts of this one. I never thought that it was about money until it was about money, it seemed like. And this Deshaun Watson case, I think, is about money. I think that's exactly what it is where even though he was getting that huge deal with the Texans or signed that huge deal with the Texans, if he was going somewhere else, he wanted a different deal for even more money, and it was just going to be up to the team. I don't think it was all the things that we argued yesterday and said why Deshaun Watson was likely picking either the Saints or Falcons uh, gone completely out the window in my mind. It's It seems to be about the money, and now the Cleveland Browns hopefully in their mind, have their quarterback for the future, but it's Cleveland, so you can never be quite sure. But again, breaking news is Deshaun Watson now wants to go to the Cleveland Browns And now the Texans and Browns just have to figure out a trade package, according to reports. He is Aaron Torres. Check out the latest Lance of the World of Sports at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. Must be 21, must be present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, and Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Dan Byer, and I'll tell you why this is a bad move for Deshaun Watson to go to Cleveland.